Welcome back to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, a short disclaimer. While I am a practicing psychologist, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener, nor the characters we are talking about. I'm not representative of all psychologists, and my opinion is just that, one opinion. Also, while I do have a little bit of lived experience of anxiety and depression, for the most part, I'm only commenting on my understanding of illnesses, symptoms, and disabilities based on what I've learned and read. Myself and my co-hosts in no way feel we have the final say on any character portrayal. We may get it wrong, and I invite you to let us know if we do. It's my intention to start discussions with this podcast and for it to evolve over time. So please give us any feedback you have. And now on with the show. My name is Stephanie. I'm a psychologist and here I have with me again uh, Michael Watson, who is co-hosting with me today. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. And uh, just remind everybody what you're like, what you do. Uh, so I've got a degree in film and television and I'm studying medicine. That's right. And I like psychiatry. <laughs> and again, to remind people, just because we need to, not really, we're married as well. We are married. With a baby. <laughs> um, so for our second episode, I'm glad we've come this far, um, we have decided because we've just recent, well, not that recent actually, but we have recently finished The Sopranos. Mm. So I thought today we could discuss The Sopranos uh, in terms of mental illness. Great TV show, probably one of the best ever. The best TV show in the history of TV shows, or at least in our generation, probably. <laughs> it's a big call. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because there's so much to unpack, there's so many characters, there's various tenets of mental illness being portrayed. I thought today we could just focus on Tony, the main character, Tony Soprano, and his relationship with his therapist, Dr. Melfi. Hopefully this doesn't go for too long because that is a lot to unpack <laughs> with yeah. just one, one character, but he is the main character. So I guess to start with, um, just to go back to like what the purpose of this podcast is as well, what we want to kind of discuss is, is the depiction in the movie or TV show played by someone with a lived experience of the diagnosis portrayed? Most of the times the answer is probably no. How accurate is the depiction? How stereotypical is it? And is it harmful or helpful? And because there's so much to talk about, we probably will skip around those questions a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of the point of what we're discussing. So yeah, maybe we'll start with a bit of a summary of what The Sopranos is about. Uh, is there anything you want to start with, Michael? Like what you enjoy about The Sopranos or how it affected you? Um, I guess it's like the perfect TV story because it's, you know, hours and hours of content and <laughs> you just delve into this one man and his family and, and all the nuances and all the different facets of who he is as a person. And it's just a, a really fascinating character study, I guess. Yeah, I feel like that is definitely what the creator was going for. And it's very much kind of one of the pioneering shows of its time where it's a very in-depth long form tv show that goes for a long time and it's really there's no good characters they're all pretty flawed but you kind of are rooting for these really bad people it's about a family 
Um, and the main protagonist, Tony Soprano, is a mafia boss, which is um, pretty clear very early on in the TV series. But he calls himself part of Waste Management as his official title. Also, just to remind everyone, if you haven't seen The Sopranos, there'll be a lot of spoilers in this episode. So please pause, go watch The Sopranos. It'll take you a little while and then come back. (laughs) Yeah, so Tony, he's got two sisters, one older and one younger, I'm pretty sure. Just a bit of background of his history. His dad was a mafia boss growing up and he saw some pretty awful shit. He was around a lot of violence. His dad died long ago, but his mother in the beginning of the series anyway. Livia, she's a very sort of pretty awful, classic, narcissistic parent. Never has anything nice to say. You you can't ever do anything right. Very manipulative. And she even puts a hit on her own son. That's how bad she is as a mum. They really only focus on his sister Janice in the TV show. They don't, don't really see the other one. She's very manipulative and narcissistic herself. Very much tries to get into everybody's good books, but there's always something she wants from them. Um, he has a wife, Carmela, who's played by Edie Falco, um, who deals with a lot, but also has her own sort of pathology, I'd say. She definitely enjoys the perks of being a mobster's wife. She can be very manipulative and scheming. She's pro- probably pretty entitled. Yeah. He also has two very privileged 90s kids. Uh, the ambitious Meadow and delinquent nihilist AJ, who both go through their own mental health struggles. AJ more so as he attempts to sort of figure out where he fits in in this family and life outside of the family. They are probably the highlights of the series, watching them sort of struggle. Who would you prefer as a, as a son or daughter? <laughs> <laughs> AJ or Meadow? I think I'd take Meadow, thanks. Yeah, I think I would too. Mm. I mean... <laughs> AJ's pretty useless. AJ doesn't have much going for him. No, but Meadow's so annoying. She just irritates me. Mm. He also has his trusted goons, which are, of course, lifelong family friends, as you often see in mafia media. One pussy. I feel weird saying that word (laughs) when I'm not actually talking about something else. Yeah, there's also classic scenes with a bit of humour between these goons as well. Paulie and... So, and one of his freshly made goons is Christopher. Christopher, who's a son figure to Tony, as Christopher's dad was killed early on. So the pilot of the show involves a family of ducks having settled in the family pool, very you know fancy '90s mansion sort of setting. And so Tony's very sort of fixated on these ducks that move in, and then they leave the family pool. And from that moment on, Tony starts experiencing panic attacks, the kind that involve, like, he completely passes out. So probably not a good idea if you're a mafia boss to be passing out all the time. So you just can't have this as a big man in charge of many things. So he decides to see a shrink, as they call it in the US. Hence, the mafia world merges with the psychiatric world. And therefore, we have the glory that is The Sopranos. One of the first TV shows that involves someone very masculine and, and mis, I'd say misogynistic engaging in the therapy world. It's not, there's no, there wasn't many shows or movies that sort of experienced that. Funnily enough, Analyze That was released the same year, which also tackles pretty much the same thing, but not as well. No. Well, that was more of a comedy, and this, I think, was meant to be more, I guess, a device to get into his head yes. so we could see 
how he operates. Yeah, like what is it like to actually be a mafia boss? What are they thinking? So I guess to start with, um, now that we've kind of covered what The Sopranos is about, and that took a long time, sorry. I guess we'll start with what Tony, because we're focusing on Tony this episode, uh, what we think that he has. And I mean, from, you know, watching The Sopranos not that long ago, what, what was in your head when watching, what do, what do you think Tony's diagnosis would have been? Well, I know you're um, very against multiple diagnoses, <laughs> but I think the fact that his presenting problem is panic attack means that, you, you know, you have to be looking at either panic disorder or anxiety, some sort of anxiety disorder with panic. Mm-hmm. But as the show unfolds, it becomes pretty clear that there's a personality type of element mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that he would fall into the category they talk about, uh, what is it, bad, mad and sad personality (laughs) disorders, and he would very much be one of the bad ones. Can you explain bad, mad and sad personality disorders to to the audience? (laughs) So the bad personality disorders are like uh, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Mad is like borderline. Mm-hmm. And sad is like dependent, obsessive, compulsive. But there's a lot of talk online about Tony Soprano being either a narcissist or an antisocial personality disorder. So the uh, bad. Bad, yes. <laughs> and I guess uh, just to reassure listeners, mad, bad and sad is a very shorthand not actually used when you're giving therapy to somebody. You have a bad personality disorder. <laughs> Um, just like a, a little memory. It's a, just, it's, it's, a, it's a nasty vernacular way of saying it. <laughs> Coming from the medical world. <laughs> um, but I'm inclined to say antisocial personality disorder. I think he meets all the criteria. Well, funnily enough, we'll go through that criteria today. But yeah, I, obviously he's presenting, you know, reason for therapy was the panic attacks. So looking at it from purely, you know, if I was a therapist, if I was Dr. Malfi and he came to me and he was saying, you know, I'm... Without any real observable trigger, I'm suddenly getting really sweaty, I'm palpitating, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm faint, to the point of actually fainting, and I guess, I think in the, you know, he says, I feel like I'm going to die, I would be, sounds like panic disorder. And there's two different ways of categorizing panic disorder, with or without agoraphobia, and because it doesn't really affect Tony leaving the house and, and going, doing his job, I would say it doesn't involve agoraphobia. So I guess what panic disorder is, it doesn't really explain why you get the panic attacks. It's really uh, the DSM-5, which we use to diagnose, um, or at least what I use, there's more than one, involves what panic disorder involves one or more attacks, followed by at least a month of fear of another panic attack or change in behavior due to a fear of a panic attack. And it can't be attributed to the side effects of a drug or a physical condition. And another important part of the diagnosis is um, it can't be explained by any other mental disorder such as social anxiety or a specific phobia. And that last one, uh, as you say, you don't, I don't love multiple diagnoses, but panic disorder too, I think we can both say, isn't the only thing that explains Tony's behaviour. So there's probably another mental disorder that would explain <laughs> his pathology. But in terms of what you get first presented I would definitely say that that's what he's got. So I guess looking at beyond panic attacks, 
pretty much on board with you. I think it's pretty hard to debate that he's got a personality disorder of some kind. And so let's look at antisocial personality disorder as a diagnosis. Um, So that's someone who's diagnosed as a sociopath or psychopath. So for the purposes of looking at the Sopranos, I've looked at the DSM-4, which is what was out in the late 90s, early 2000s. The DSM-5 came out in 2015? I can't remember. So the DSM is a book that uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors use to diagnose mental illnesses. The criteria for antisocial personality disorder involves seven symptoms. Someone needs three of those seven symptoms in order to meet a diagnosis. So number one, a failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviours as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. So in terms of Tony Soprano, what do you think? Does he sort of meet that criteria? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) There's not much doubt with that, is there? Mm. Because his whole job is uh, grounds for arrest. Mm. And he's constantly breaking the law with everything he does, pretty much. Yeah. Um, the second criteria is deceitfulness, as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. What would you say about that one, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Watson? he hits that one. I don't know, with Carmella and his repeated affairs? Yes, exactly. That comes to mind. Yeah, even when it's pretty obvious, he's st- he'll still lie about it. Mm. And it's his whole life is really a lie, too, because he's telling everybody he's in waste management when he's a mafia boss. I think some of the criteria need to be looked at through the lens of the life of a mafioso, though. Mm. So I don't know if you can call that. Uh, it's deceit to society at large, I guess. So what do you mean, though? Like, because he's a mafioso, he kind of has to lie because of well, the career he's chosen? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can say that, but, you know, all of these criteria are really bad for you and me or anybody, you know, just living a normal life. But mm. for him, they're really adaptive, good things for him to be able to do. That's true. Like, for him, it's not maladaptive, mm. is it? And I guess what a disorder is, is your functioning is being impaired. Yeah, but his his functioning is in the world that he's chosen for himself is only aided by being able to commit crimes without compunction, you know. Yeah, and be able to lie without feeling guilty about it, I guess. Yeah. And just being able to do that really easily. True, mm. true, true. That's a good point. Mm. The third criteria is impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. What do you think about this one? I, I don't, this one tricked me. I think he's impulsive at times, mm-hmm. but I think his planning is pretty sound. Yeah. But, you know, when he throws the table around in Dr. Melfi's office. Yeah. Those sorts of things. But maybe that's not impulsivity. Maybe that's just inability to control his Emotions. rage. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, like I felt the same way. Like um, he can be very impulsive and a lot of things he can go from zero to 100 very quickly. But in terms of planning, it's... I feel like even when he, you know, has decided he's going to kill somebody, it's always very meticulous the way it's organised. He doesn't really do anything without thinking through the decisions. Like, for example, he does end up killing, say, his cousin, Steve Bashimi, when he realises that's not working for him and pussy. But it involves a lot of planning and there's a lot of, you can see in the show, a lot of him mulling it over Mm. and taking his time. So... Yeah, this criteria is a little bit harder to actually fit him into. 
But he's got two out of the three already, so he just needs so one more. Yeah, it's not going to be hard. Um, irritability and aggressiveness is the fourth criteria, and that's pretty obvious. He's pretty aggressive when he <laughs> needs to be. Absolutely. And as you said, like throwing tables around in Dr. Melfi's office and calling her a bitch <laughs> whenever he doesn't agree with what she has said. Yeah, he gets mad at everybody, really. Hmm. Uh, criteria five is reckless disregard for the safety of himself or others. What do you think about this one, Michael? Uh, yeah, well, he he's, you know, happy to kill people. Yeah, very happy <laughs> to. I don't know what, what he thinks about his own safety. Well, uh, to me, the fact that he's ha- he has anxiety suggests he is concerned because mm-hmm. anxiety is like... Um, you are afraid of losing control or you're afraid of something, basically, that's going to impact your health or well-being. So to me, that suggests he is concerned about his own safety. Mm. Yeah. And I guess what he says about the ducks, when he's in the room with Dr. Melfi and she's talking through the ducks with him, he says, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my family and, and starts getting emotional. So he does seem to care about the safety of his family but I guess the motivations for why he cares maybe not what we think they are as well. Mm. He's always saying to Carmela, you know, I'm providing for you and I'm doing this for you. But it obviously doesn't just, it's not just for the family. It also benefits himself. Mm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think the key here is they use the word reckless, which to me sort of ties in with that impulsivity. And it makes me think that what they're driving at in the DSM is that he sort of would act impulsively without any care about mm. if he hurts himself or somebody else. And and I don't think he meets that criteria. Mm-hmm. Even though he kills people, that's he does that for reasons. Yeah. Um, and obviously, he, yeah, he has no regard for the safety of somebody he's going to whack. But I think that's a different thing. And he's usually whacking someone because of, for the safety of the business or um, for his own well-being. So he doesn't yeah. go to jail or get killed. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we're, we're sympathizing with Tony, which is exactly what the show tries to get us to do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's all right. He kills people. It's for the business. Criteria six involves consistent irresponsibility as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. What do you think about that, Michael? He's, he definitely doesn't meet this, mm. I reckon, because he's pretty, you know, despite what you think of what he does for work, he's pretty diligent. He's pretty good at his job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's... I mean, this is the whole mafia code is is honour and living up to your obligations. Yeah. So I, I don't... He definitely misses this one. There is a few moments in the show, though, where he's depicted as, you know, spending too much time on gambling and who is... And, <laughs> yeah, like spending up on treating himself to stuff. So he does have... He can have the tendency to throw those obligations away, but pretty much throughout the show, it's, it's all about the business. Yeah. Yeah, so I would agree. And number seven is lack of remorse, as indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. So. Definite, definite tick. Yeah. He's definitely got that. And I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but I did some reading about the. Ooh, please tell me. The experience of the mafioso in Sicily. Oh. Some psychologists or psychiatrists reported their findings from like 10 years of working with them. And what did they find? 
Well, basically, one of the sort of main characteristics psychologically of a real mafioso is that they don't feel remorse. Mm-hmm. They, so basically what they found is that these people will kill anybody if the family asks them to. They won't feel any guilt, which they justify because they feel that they're doing it for the family. Mm-hmm. And the only time they start feeling things like guilt and remorse is when they decide to go over to the police and inform on the family. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. so there's some kind of psychological thing that they share that just blocks that guilt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Tony... I don't know if David Chase read this same paper that I read. But, yeah, Tony is is, is totally that. He's totally remorseless. Yeah. And I guess that thing that would stop you from being able to be a mafioso, would that be empathy, do you think? Because I guess that's a really important trait of a sociopath is to not have that empathy. Yeah. Which is really that remorse. Yeah. Because you can put yourself into someone's shoes and be like, oh, that would suck. But if, you're, if you have that feeling, then you're not going to be able to effectively just kill people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I agree. He does have some loyalty to people, though. Like, he talks about how much he cares about his family. And he, I, I guess in therapy, he does display a little bit of feelings of guilt. Um, like he'll say, he said, he, you know, where did he go wrong with AJ? He's, he's just like his dad. And also that sense of not living up to expectations with his with the way his mum sees him. So it does suggest that maybe he does have some emotional connection to what others are feeling, but he doesn't deal with them very well. Yeah, no, this is true. And I was just thinking as well, like the times when he really does worry about things and feel guilt and remorse and sort of agonising over a decision was around killing Pussy yes. and killing Steve Buscemi's character. Oh, his name was Tony as well. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to remember his name earlier. But then that, I think that kind of ties into that, uh, the family, because they're, you know, Pussy, they're not related, but he's part of the Soprano family. Yeah. As in, in a mafia sense. And obviously Tony's his cousin. So at that point, his, like, duties as a mob boss conflict with his duty to his family, so he gets that kind of dissonance, I guess. Yeah, and I guess it's it's very much maybe not so much the empathy that's driving that guilt, but how that looks to his family and his sense of loyalty to the family that has obviously been tested if he's having to kill within the family. Mm. Yeah. So I guess it's all, he, he rationalises a lot of what he does because it, he needs to for the business, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So that's that's all the criteria. So it sounds like he pretty much meets that criteria. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah, he does. Um, uh, however, yeah. there are some suggestions that maybe a sociopath isn't quite what explains Tony Soprano. And there's so much information that he shares in therapy that suggests a lot more sort of layers to his pathology. And I'm not the only one who, who feels that way. There are so many articles on The Sopranos, so many articles on Tony Soprano specifically. I'm sure you came across a few 
you mm. came across some that are actually published in peer-reviewed journals. Is that oh, right? yeah, it's a big thing. It's a huge <laughs> deal. Yeah, there's a, there's a book about the psychology of The Sopranos. That's crazy. Is it yeah. a guy starting with G? Gabbard Ga- or something. Yeah, Gabbard. Yeah. I came across him a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's so much written about The Sopranos, which just is a test to how massive it really was. Mm. And one article... Um, by Joe Goose, who uh, just some guy from the zine articles, he looked at the criteria and you know said, "Yep, there's definitely evidence that he's a sociopath. He meets at least three of those criteria that we just discussed, but maybe that isn't what completely encapsulates Tony Soprano." So I guess there's two other uh, personality disorders that we can briefly look at that you mentioned in pretty much in terms of the bad category. Yeah, I regret saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using uh, quotations with my fingers. Firstly, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. Really quickly, the criteria for that would be uh, a grandiose sense of self-importance. Well, he's a mafia boss. I mean, he is that important though, I guess. Number two, fantasies of unlimited success, power and brilliance. And he does seem to want power mm. quite a bit, but I think that's that need for power kind of stresses him out a fair bit as yeah. well. A need for excessive admiration. I think he likes to be admired. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, towards the end of the show, there's that scene where I think it's just when he just comes out of hospital after Uncle Junior shoots him mm. and he has a near-death experience. When he comes out, his friends are all just laughing with him. Well, you know, supposedly with him. Like, they're all just enjoying what he's saying and laughing along. And he's just looking so sceptical and, he's like, brooding. And it's like he's distrusting everyone's admiration of, of him. So even though he craves admiration, you may not trust that admiration mm. as well. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually relevant. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he's after real admiration. Yeah. You know, the admiration that he's getting isn't enough for him. No, so he's craving more and more, mm. which means he definitely fits that criteria. Mm. A sense of entitlement is a narcissistic personality disorder criteria. I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think anybody who feels okay with killing for their work is at the, the far end of entitlement. <laughs> yeah, and that sort of runs down to his family hugely as well. Mm. Carmel is beautifully entitled number five a tendency to be interpersonally exploitative in that they use others to achieve their own ends well that's essentially his work as well Mm, yeah and number six as we've already discussed is a lack of empathy so yeah we sort of discussed that as well two more number seven is envy of others or belief that others are envious of them i think he might believe others are envious of him I don't think it's ever really explicitly said. I think he's only envious of others if they just have something that he wants. Yeah. Like, you know, he'll just get whatever he wants. Like, you know, in terms of lovers. Yeah. And lastly, uh, criteria eight is arrogant, haughty, or super shit. <laughs> Supercilious. Supercilious behavior and attitudes. Well, he's not super silly. <laughs> But he's supercilious. What does that even mean? Do you know? Arrogant and haughty. Oh, it's pretty arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could definitely call Tony Soprano arrogant. Um, yeah, he could e- easily meet that criteria as well. Yeah. So I think, I guess this is the problem of DSM is that you can meet all the criteria in the world. At some stage in your life, you can meet every criteria. Yeah. Like, Especially now during a pandemic. <laughs> I meet all the criteria for obsessive compulsive personality disorder, but 
does that necessarily mean you don't have it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) it just means that I have very well-organized shelves. Yes. Well, (laughs) well, I guess the meaning, the, the reason why it's a diagnosis, why you would get a diagnosis is that you need help. Yeah. So whatever this, this disorder is, is causing you a difficulty in functioning and your it's impacting your well-being. Mm. So, and that's why there are so many narcissists and sociopaths out there. Then we don't know that yeah. they are because they're functional. It's the ones that aren't functional that we find out about. Yeah. What I was going to say, though, I think that Tony is a narcissist in a lay sense. In a lay sense, yes. But I don't think... That would be the main problem. You don't think that narcissistic personality disorder would properly explain who Tony is? No, because I think that, you know, a big part of his patho- psychopathology is that he's a mobster who kills people. And I think that's that fits more nicely under antisocial. And I guess that's an important thing with the DSM too. It doesn't account for that context. Yeah, That yeah. is an important context to refer to. So maybe NPD? But probably more antisocial personality disorder rather than so far. I reckon. Yeah. And the last one I wanted to look at, which might be a controversial opinion, is borderline personality disorder. Ooh. Ooh. Which is mad out of the three. Oh, I wouldn't, <laughs> now say, I wouldn't say that, Steph. That's, <laughs> that's a highly offensive thing to say. Now that you've used bad, mad and sad, I'm going to use it every episode. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's understood to be mad. Okay. What is borderline personality disorder? Michael, do you want to share what you know it to be since (laughs) you've used that analogy? I just want to say (laughs) cluster B. Cluster B. Is the nicer way of putting it. (laughs) I guess ultimately borderline is all about uh, sort of a fear of abandonment. There's lots of feelings of emptiness. There's They sort of do a lot of suicidal gestures. Mm -hmm. They have brief and intense relationships. Lots of emotionality. Yeah. High up and down emotions. They get a lot of negative press for being manipulative and that sort of thing. But mm. I personally don't think that's fair. No. Um, one show that we will definitely cover, probably not with you because you won't watch it, is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a really good depiction of borderline personality disorder. And, you know, someone that you really root for. It's not. It's a very misunderstood diagnosis. Mm. Yeah. The reason why I'm suggesting this one is because of the history that we hear about Tony and see that is discussed in therapy. And when you actually break it down, he's gone through a lot of trauma. He has a really absent mother who's probably diagnosed with narcissistic or borderline. And so there's a lot of abandonment there, I Mm. believe. So I feel like a lot of his behaviors is because of that trauma. And um, what my belief about borderline personality disorder is it is sort of born from some abandonment, some trauma or neglect in young childhood, because it's very, very related or correlated, I should say. So I guess looking at the criteria, you mentioned fear of abandonment. He's very controlling in relationships. Uh... Whenever someone threatens to leave, his anger goes way up. Mm. Like that um, confrontation with Carmela, when he actually does get physical with her, Mm. was when she was leaving him, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Number two is unstable relationships. And that's pretty clear. Not Maybe not so much with Carmela, but with his gumas. Yeah. With his hooers. Um, I should stop saying that. <laughs> I, love it. I don't actually. 
I think sex work is a very valid work. I don't actually call them whores. Um, <laughs> people who work in that field. I'm going to get cancelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, he gets very caught up with his mistresses. For example, Annabelle Scorsia's character. I've forgotten her name. But the one who is actually fellow client of Dr. Melfi. Mm-hmm. They get very intense in their relationship and um, they also are very explosive together. And she was being treated for borderline borderline personality personality disorder. disorder. (laughs) So the fact that they clash so hugely suggests um, something. But also he and Carmela are very up and down in terms of their relationship as well. Like Mm. they can hate each other one minute and then be okay. Probably not wonderful, but... Yeah, and also, I guess, with his friends as well and, you know, family, he, you know, can go from wanting to kill some of them to being pretty pretty chummy as well. Mm. Another facet of borderline is unclear or shifting self-image. And I think this is something a bit deeper that comes out a lot in therapy. Uh, for example, he, he says to Dr. Melfi, I feel like I'm the sad clown. But he's also the bad guy. And, and he, f- he does mention he's the bad guy as well. But he's also... He is a bad guy. <laughs> yes. Um, but he also... You know, he's a family man, but he's also a mafia boss, but he's, an, he's a lover. And I feel like one of the huge issues with Tony and his pathology is he struggles to juggle being the tough guy and actually being vulnerable, mm. which is why he struggles so much with therapy. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Um, and a lot of what I've read talks about how, you know, in that, that cult, in the mafia culture, you're not allowed to f- express any m- vulnerability because mm. you're the big man and... Because what, you're queer? That's yeah. what they would probably say. Um, yeah, so to feel vulnerable, if he's feeling, if he's feeling vulnerable, he thinks he's not a man and if he's not a man, then what is he? Then what is he, yeah. yeah. And that's where that sort of, I don't know... Uh, maybe that's where some of that panic sets in as well. Yeah. Uh, also, quickly, impulsive, self-destructive behaviours is a trait. While he's never really caused himself huge harm, he's obviously putting himself in dangerous situations all the time. He's a big drinker. Sometimes he does drugs. He you know, has sex outside of marriage. Um, not that that's necessarily a destructive thing, but he... Could get sick. He could get sick. Um, and also Carmelo, you know, asked him not to, and he does it anyway. So as we've established, he can be impulsive. And whether it's destru- destroying his body or his relationships, he can be self-destructive. Another couple of traits as well that might not fit him, self-harm. I don't think we've, we see him do anything that is really could be classified as self-harm. Mm, not, not that I can recall. Another one is emotional swings. So, yes, he's quite up and down with his emotions, gets quite angry and explosive. But, you know, when he gets angry at some people, like, I feel like it's justified. Like, when he gets angry at AJ, I would would get that angry too. (laughs) He's playing, yeah, everybody's angry at AJ. (laughs) (laughs) Last two criteria involve emptiness, uh, which I think is explored a lot in therapy, that sort of feeling of not feeling fulfilled. Mm. He, He does bring that up a bit in therapy, um, you know, what's the, what's the point? He often says, what's the point? Mm. And then also feeling suspicious or out of touch with reality. Definitely feels suspicious at times, but sometimes it's warranted. 
Well, yeah, that's that's one of the hallmarks of the mafioso <laughs> psyche is that they're paranoid, but it's often there's incorrect. There's good reason for but, it. Yeah, there's lots of scheming and probably, conniving going on. Yeah. There's a lot of dream sequences too in terms of you being out of touch with reality. Sometimes we're not sure if it's real or a dream in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think, a, a real credit to the show that, you know, there's not a lot of really good TV that uses so many dream sequences. Mm. Yeah. So well, too. Although some of them are a little bit on the nose. I, I was reading that it was one of the earlier shows to really go hard for the dream sequences. <laughs> whereas I think nowadays it's probably a little bit more acceptable. Yeah. I well, think Mad Men definitely for... did a lot as well. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of anything else. But yeah, and that's a very psychological aspect too. Like Highly Freudian. Very Freudian, very psychoanalytic, which is Dr. Melfi's therapy of choice, mm. psychoanalysis. So yeah, what do you think about Borderline? He kind of meets the criteria a little bit there too. Yeah, he does, but not as strongly as the other two that we've discussed. And, mm-hmm. and I think I, I, I maintain antisocial is probably the one if you're going by the DSM. But what do you think, though, in terms of giving therapy to someone like Tony Soprano? Would you go, okay, I'm looking at antisocial personality disorder to treat this person. As you learn from the show, it's very difficult to treat someone with antisocial personality disorder and look at how can you care about others more? Mm. (laughs) Um, But if I was going to treat Tony Soprano, which I wouldn't, but if I had to, I'd probably look at it more from a borderline perspective because not only do we actually have therapies that work quite well with borderline, there's a lot to unpack from his history where you can kind of go back and work with some of those things like that fear of abandonment and that tendency to um, feel empty and not know where you where you fit and what your identity is. You kind of have some wiggle room. Mm. Um, so if it does sort of fit that criteria, I'd probably want to look at it more from a, personally, from a borderline perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. And I guess the DSM stuff, it's all like a construct and, and you, you only want to make a diagnosis if you think you can treat it. Exactly. So, because that's kind of what a diagnosis is for. I guess to arrange way. treatment. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you? So, if you're happier treating him as a borderline patient because you think he can do better, step go for into it. my office, Tony. <laughs> what do you What do you think about Melfi giving him prescriptions? Because I think she gives yes. him probably valium and an antidepressant he's on prozac i think from yeah i'm pretty sure and oftentimes she asks are you taking your meds do you need an increase Mm. i'm not sure in australia you've got psychologists and psychiatrists so psychiatrists prescribe medication um and don't typically give more talk therapy they're also extremely expensive so you probably couldn't afford it anyway. Um, whereas psychologists cannot prescribe medication, we give that talk therapy, that counselling. Whereas in the US, Dr. Melfi is a psychiatrist and she does both. So she does prescribe medication and provide the therapy. And uh, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't really say much, but Valium I know is hugely addictive and is always prescribed with caution. And it wouldn't be what you would initially prescribe, at least as a regular medication. It's not really designed for long-term use. Um, and it's bad in combination with alcohol, which Tony uses quite a bit. He so likes a drink. He does like a, like a drink. Um, so probably wouldn't agree with 
that medication. But as I said, I'm not a psychiatrist, can't really make that call. It's unclear to say whether the medication is working for him. Yeah. And I guess the medication she's prescribing is more for depression, anxiety, Mm. although um, borderline personality disorder, for example, can be very effectively treated with antidepressants. So maybe she thinks maybe that's, that's maybe useful. It's a clue. <laughs> but she does actually say in the show that he's a sociopath. Mm. He's got anti- antisocial personality disorder. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. So I had a look at some articles of what others think about Tony Soprano's diagnosis. Um, as I sort of mentioned before, but there's a couple of interesting articles I came across. One in, actually two of them are in Psychology Today, both of them that I'm going to reference. Um, The first one is by uh, Michael Carson, PhD, is a case formulation for Tony Soprano, but he doesn't actually give a specific diagnosis. Um, He sort of talks about um, Tony's upbringing and how that affects him and how he struggles between his need to be masculine and manly and the need to be tough, balancing that with his need for nurturing and tenderness. So it's actually a good article. I might link you to it in the Instagram. I kind of agree with his stance on that. There's also another article by Dr. Bill Sullivan, um, and it's called Dear Dr. Melfi, regarding your patient, Mr. Tony Soprano. And it's an interesting article looking at more biological processes and sort of explaining to Dr. Melfi in a very mansplaining way, I will say, (laughs) why Tony is resistant to therapy. So he suggests that his exposure to child abuse and trauma would have affected his serotonin levels and his stress response, which is basically what we know is true about trauma. Also, that there's likely that there is a brain injury due to the amount of violence he's been involved in that could be affecting how well he responds to therapy. But then he also suggests that he might have toxoplasmosis. (laughs) Can you explain what toxoplasmosis is, Dr. Michael? I think toxoplasmosis is something people blame things on, and, and, and like it's a real thing. It's a real. It's a real. Thing. So, so my my thing, only experience, no. my only knowledge about toxoplasmosis comes from like pregnant women don't want to get it because it's bad for babies, fetuses, <laughs> and I think if you're like immunosuppressed with HIV or something, it can be really nasty. But, but how do there's you a get lot it? of stuff. From cat poo. From cat poo. And, and raw meat and stuff. The symptoms of toxoplasmosis involves, a pa- it's a parasite and it essentially takes over your brain. So I've read. Do you know otherwise? <laughs> um, it's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> Stop saying things are not a thing. This is what happens when you have a kid. Everything's not a thing. If it was, if that is, if that was true, then all cat owners, I... or a sizable proportion of them, would <laughs> be under the control of a parasite. I... Well, that's why cat owners get more cats because the parasite wants more cats to jump onto to replicate. That's why <laughs> cat, crazy cat lady. That's where crazy that's cat a... lady came from. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> Well, I do, I have heard of a baby dying because of toxoplasmosis. So. Yes, well, that's different. But it means it's a thing. <laughs> okay, this we're keeping all of this. So because he, there's a cat in the Butterbing Lounge, which is the bar that they own, and he also eats a lot of processed meat and salami and gabagool, that he may have toxoplasmosis. <laughs> 
um, which is why I can't respond to therapy. He also mentioned that people hospitalized for an episode of mania are more likely to be consumers of nitrate cured meats. So I don't know, that article probably wasn't (laughs) really on the money there. But isn't it interesting how many people have actually dissected this character that doesn't exist in so many articles Psychology Today, like psych and peer-reviewed psychological articles, have picked apart this person that was is just a character on a TV show. Like that just blows my mind mm. when you think about it. And we're talking about it today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like the sort of the whole gangster movie thing, like it kind of speaks to a fantasy that we all have of being able to just do whatever we want. Mm. and amass all this power and wealth by doing whatever we want yeah. and being able to punish people who wrong us in horrific ways. Like, it's sort of a cool little study in being able to do whatever you want with impunity. Mm. So I think it's quite valid to deconstruct yeah. this story of somebody who gets to live that life. And I feel like it's like it's just such a well-written character to be able to dissect it you know, millions of times by different people. Mm. And I think it's also showing that, you know, we see sociopaths as these monsters, you know, that we don't come across and, you know, they're, they're murderers. And yeah, Tony Soprano is a murderer. <laughs> but it also shows the vulnerable side of him as well. And, you know, he's also a dad and he's also a husband and he also, yeah, can be funny. And you actually end up rooting for him, even though you, you know, hate him <laughs> at yeah. times. Like he's a really hateable guy, but you also empathize with him as well so in terms of that depiction or i guess if we just look at antisocial personality disorder what do we think of that depiction i think when you ask this question i think you're sort of trying to get at like is it fair like is yeah it, is, is it, it fair is it accurate? biased is it gonna get you know is it prejudiced mm. and i think when it comes to something like depression or anxiety like that's a fair question yeah but when it comes to like antisocial personality disorder and a person with it who is an abject murderer, philanderer, it's like maybe it's not so bad if they're portrayed in a negative light because they do bad things. But is it, you know, how the show actually gets you to empathise with him, Mm. that's not what you expect from a truly distasteful character as Tony Soprano with clearly this pathology. So... So it's either... What's that like? Is it a good thing that we, you know, say you as a psychologist, if you ever have to treat someone with antisocial personality disorder, you can be like, well, I empathise with Tony Soprano, so maybe I can find something to empathise with here. <laughs> or is it bad because it kind of, in a way, authorises that bad behaviour? Well, I guess that's the question when we talk about the therapy, which is our next kind of topic. As a psychologist, you have to empathize with your patient. That's your job, essentially, to have unconditional positive regard for your patient. Your patient. Well, Dr. Melfi calls patient, I say client. So, you know, in order to build a relationship with your client, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and feel with them. And, you know, you stay with them in the feelings and the experiences that they share. So... Is it a good thing then that we empathise a bit with Tony Soprano so that, you know, me, myself, as a therapist, if a sociopath walks into my office, yeah, I might not turn them away. Maybe I'll actually be able to do some work with them and improve their quality of life. Mm. 
What if they're a known Melbourne underground <laughs> <laughs> underbelly? Could be. And 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 your life well, could be at risk. Well, I haven't seen underbelly, so I wouldn't know. Your life could be at risk. <laughs> So I personally wouldn't treat someone who is a sociopath, even if it was possible to diagnose them that before actually giving them treatment, because it's actually hard to diagnose someone with antisocial personality disorder. But it it also isn't my area of expertise either, which is how you practice as an ethical psychologist. You only work with what you have the skills to work with. And I don't have the skills to work with someone who's a sociopath. But how will you ever learn? By doing training before you actually do the real thing. Do a Zoom meeting. (laughs) A webinar. I guess on that note, uh, the next thing I kind of want to pick your brain about is what we think of the depiction of the actual therapy going on. Mm. Um, And I guess a really important thing to consider is how one would, how, how one does treat someone with these traits. Firstly, I guess to ask you, what do you think about the depiction of therapy from what you know about therapy, not being a therapist yourself? Yeah. Well, I kind of want to put my film student hat on here. Mm. And Interesting. I'm not sure if this is what you want me to talk about. Don't Stop asking. <laughs> you <laughs> can talk about whatever you want. But I just feel like getting the mob boss into the psychiatrist's couch is really just like a device like mm. we're fascinated by these people people love these characters how do they work mm. so give them a psychiatrist to talk to i don't think it needs to be a good depiction of therapy it just needs to shed some light on it. you know in westworld when they like get the robots in diagnostic mode and they just ask them a question and they just say exactly what's going on so you're saying that lorraine bracco didn't need to exist and she should just be a robot no 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 what i'm saying is that tony soprano is the robot and she's put him putting him in diagnostic mode so you can see how he ticks yeah it's just a a device so we can see how he works so 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 lorraine bracco doesn't even even be a robot no i'm not (laughs) (laughs) not trying to say anyone needs to be a robot (laughs) (laughs) But basically what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't need to be a good depiction of therapy. It just needs to be good TV. And Mm -hmm. she just needs to ask the right questions to get the good stuff out that we want to see. And the fact that they have this complicated, at times violent, at times sexualized relationship. He says, last night I had a dream I fucked your brains out. (laughs) Anyway... I just, I, I think um, if he walked into the office and it, and it was, the first episode was her just asking about his mum and dad and giving him some strategies like he should exercise for half an hour a day and um, eat fruits and veg and then you'll feel better. Like the classic first session. Is that what you session. think we say to people? No, the first, <laughs> the first session of therapy is that nuts and bolts, like I've got five minutes now that we're finished talking. I'll just give you a few little things to do. And then when we come back, we'll, the real work will happen. But the, the first episode, you don't see where I'm getting what I'm... No, I see what you're getting at. You're, you're saying that it doesn't have to be necessarily good therapy. It just needs to be the catalyst for what we learn about Tony to happen and his behaviour yes. to manifest itself. How did you manage to say that without taking 45 well, minutes and throwing in a Westworld your, reference? You're the guest. <laughs> That's interesting perspective. It's very reductive. Well, I but I think the point of this question is is how the depiction of therapy advances society's appreciation of therapy as a whole. 
like I think we want to see depictions of therapy that are going to make people go, I should go see a psychologist. Yes. And and if that's like the metric of a good depiction, well, I don't think that it's a great depiction because <laughs> it's such a messy relationship. So you're saying we should not bother talking about the depiction of therapy because it's just a, a mechanism? And we'll just leave it. We'll just finish the podcast now. No, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm just saying I don't... Maybe it's probably not the best depiction of therapy. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the and articles... That's okay. That is okay. Mm-hmm. One of the articles I read said that people who watch a lot of these types of shows with therapy in them are less likely to see a psychologist because it's often like the really extreme cases go to therapy. Mm-hmm. The, like the Tony Sopranos, the Tony Sopranos. go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And that makes them go, oh, well, I've just got like a little... I'm a bit sad every now and then. I don't need to see anybody. Yeah, I would agree with you. But on another hand, how many people like Tony Soprano would access therapy at all? That's true. Apparently Very it's rare, growing in the mafia community more and more people. I hope it's because of the Sopranos not Analyze <laughs> That. <laughs> not that I've actually seen Analyze That, to be honest, or Analyze This. I've seen the second one. Which one's which? I don't know. <laughs> There are some articles I've read that suggest that it has done some good things for male mental health, particularly. Mm. You know, there's this dude who's so overtly masculine, misogynistic, who sees a therapist. And, you know, in the show, it's like his goons and they worry that that's going to be bad for business and he's going to lose the plot. So there's that real stigma for people in those positions, men in those positions to be vulnerable and to be seeking mental help. So the fact that, you know, it's improving the rates of people in mafia roles going to a psychologist, that's that can only be a good thing. Yeah. I think I that's feel sorry good. for those psychologists. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a that's a very good point. And that's a lot of what I read was saying how important it was for male mental health. Mm-hmm. So tip of the hat. Tip of the hat. I, I do have some thoughts on just some of the moments in therapy, if you wouldn't mind me. I'd love to hear. If you your would thoughts. indulge me. Um the first episode is interesting in that you can see that he's so resistant. Um, she also doesn't really, I mean, you don't see her go through confidentiality or ethical guidelines, um, but she does actually refer back to saying, you know, as long as you don't say anything incriminating, we can continue therapy. I'm not going to share anything with anyone else. In real reality, if I was Dr. Melfi, I would have reported him multiple times. Mm. Um, to the police, etc. I do think that she's pretty good at talking through some of his past. Like, in terms of the actual talk therapy she provides and the things she says, they're pretty good. Like, they're pretty accurate. He, She sort of refers to, you know, his mother probably having borderline personality disorder, which is what I suggest, or narcissistic. Um, but she does actually say some negative things about borderline which is things like these people's internal phobias are the only things that exist to them. The real world, real people are peripheral. These people have no love or compassion. Borderline personalities are very good at splitting behavior, creating bitterness and conflict between others in their circle. Borderline does involve splitting, but she's pretty negative about borderline. Like there's no love. Yeah, that's kind of that negative press that they get. And I'm not sure if that's what splitting behavior is. Yeah, it's, it's not sort of creating conflict. It's more you're either their best friend or their worst enemy, depending yeah. on what happens. There's no in-between. So, mm. yeah, she's, she kind of gets it a bit wrong. Yeah. And other than that, I think she does go, you know, you've got to deal with your feelings about your mother. 
got to deal with you know how you saw yourself as a child and and what you were exposed to when you're with your dad and how that's impacted what's going on for you now and he refuses to see that continuously through the therapy but she persists and she persists I do find that her voice is a bit naggy though I probably wouldn't be so naggy in therapy (laughs) no you've got to see this problem Um, she's trying to break through. She's trying to break through. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, he resists so much and that prevents the therapy from continuing at multiple points or from being effective. But she doesn't really throw any other tricks out of her bag. She just kind of continues with what they've been doing session after session after session. And you are told to roll with resistance if you get a resi- really resistant client You don't try and push them, although probably not nag them like she does, but um, you just roll with it because the more you push, the more they will pull away. Just kind of go with it. But you can tell how frustrated she is in therapy. Mm. And sometimes she does express that, which, you know, sometimes there's a fine line between calling someone out on their bullshit and being frustrated with them. And I think she treads that really finely at Mm. times. Also that session with Carmela in him, that's just a total disaster. <laughs> yeah. And is that like something that you would ever do? I probably wouldn't. Like I probably wouldn't mind bringing and I have brought a partner into an individual session with a client if that partner wants to share something or wants to work through something with their partner, but the client is the person that's presented so the client would be tony soprano carmella would not be the client it wouldn't be a couple's counseling you generally if you're seeing a client you wouldn't then do couples counseling with them and their partner because you've already established that trust with the the client that came in first so it's always going to feel usually for the other the partner that it's not actually about them it's about the Mm. the initial client Um, and it can be really it's not really equal then and you certainly, I certainly would not do individual therapy with the partner as well, which does happen. So Dr. Melfi does see Carmela for a session. Yeah. Because she refers her on though, right? She does refer her on, but I would Shouldn't have just cancelled that appointment. Mm-hmm. So she makes an appointment with Tony and Carmela, but Tony doesn't come and Carmela comes instead. I would have uh. just gone, no, let's reschedule <laughs> because Tony is your patient, not Carmela. Mm. And it didn't go very well anyway. Also, just a little aside... Dr. Melfi's supervisor, psychologist, mm. Elliot. Like, I don't really understand who he's supposed to be. Could you figure that out? I thought... Friend? I, I always got the vibe that they must have been, like, med school friends or something. And mm. But then he was supervising her. But then he's older. He must be older than her. Uh, yeah. It definitely seems supervisory, but then they go out to dinner or they go to a dinner party together. Yeah. Stuff. So they must be also friends. Mm. And whenever I've read articles about it, they say that he's her psychoanalyst, mm. <laughs> which is even more wrong if that's the case because yeah. you you're not friends with your therapist. No. Um, and yet they are. But also, like, his manner with her is really kind of blunt as well. Paternalistic. Paternalistic, yeah. Mm. And she often is like, shut up, Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it doesn't feel like a therapeutic relationship Mm. at times. It Mm. feels like he's just judging her. Yeah, it does. Which isn't therapeutic. Mm. So, yeah, that was a weird one. But that might also be, like... It could just be putting Dr. Melfi into Westworld robot mode (laughs) so we can see how she ticks. That's exactly right. I think I'm getting this Westworld analogy. 
Also, don't forget, Elliot at that same dinner party reveals Tony's identity to the whole dinner party. Yes, that's terrible on so many levels. Oh my god. And I'm sure it happens. It shouldn't. It's unethical and you could lose your job doing that and mm. you should, but that should not happen. <laughs> and as as her supervisor, if that's what she, what he is, that's so bad yeah. that he did that. I guess another important thing to ask, did Dr. Melfi actually inadvertently and sometimes directly help Tony to kill people by giving him therapy that made him a better mafioso? Um, so that, like, her therapy, like, improved his functioning. Yeah. Like, his occupational functioning. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if he did control his panic attacks, which kind of happens on and off, then he becomes a better, like, his well-being improves and he becomes a better mafioso. I guess so, but I think it would be an indirect effect because I know he he presented with panic attacks, but the bulk of the therapy is really about his relationships. And, like, they talk about his relationships with other mafia guys, but when it comes down to it, it's really Carmela and um, AJ that she's managing for him. He does come up with a few, like, problems, like, with Christopher. Yeah. And other, you know, men in his life that he doesn't mention. He's trying to work things out, and I'm pretty sure she helps him with a few of those scenarios. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, yeah, you. I mean, she probably helped him... She probably led him to make decisions that resulted in end, deaths. Yeah, ending someone's life. Blood on her hands. <laughs> Shame. 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 Shame, Dr. Melfi. <laughs> so just to kind of finish off that chat, I've come up with the top 10 times Dr. Melfi should have referred Tony on to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> please, if you can come up with any more, please tell me as well. So number one. When he says he loves her, which is season one, episode six. And she explains to him like why she thinks he loves him, which is kind of that often people will connect well with their therapist and then feel there's a sense of intimacy in a therapy in a therapy session. So sometimes that can be confused with romantic feelings. But, you know, he's like, I'm a man, you're a woman. End of story. Because he's a very black and white kind of guy. You know, I've been propositioned in therapy. Luckily, the one time it's happened was at when I was finishing up with a client. <laughs> Thank goodness. But if it wasn't, I would have referred them on. Yes. <laughs> because it's very difficult to provide... You're, you're in a position of power. And if they've decided they want to be romantically linked to you, then um, you, you could manipulate that power. And it's just not, it's just not good. It's you're just not, not supposed to do it's it. Not Number two, anytime he's abused her, which has happened a lot, mm. uh, he loses it because he skipped a session. He goes, stick it up your ass. <laughs> he smashes up her room. He tells her that he'd like to smash her face in. And of course, as you said earlier, he says, I had a dream I fucked your brains out. <laughs> if a client ever said that to me, I'd be like, okay, you can leave this practice now. Yeah. Number three, the dinner party. The fact that everybody she knows finds out that her patient is Tony Soprano. But she she couldn't refer him on for that reason because then he'd have her clipped. He'd have her clipped. He'd have her and the whole dinner party clipped. I'm sure she can make up a lie. <laughs> it just so much compromises her integrity, yeah. your client's confidentiality. You refer the one. Number four, he tells her to get out of town for a while and that treating him could be dangerous. Mm. And somehow he ends up back in her office. And she does. She has to leave town, establish her own practice in a, in a motel. It, uh. yeah. <laughs> so he's totally up, upheaved her life. Yeah. 
And then number five, when he springs himself on her in the cafe when she has been laying low for a while, he just turns up and she actually says to him, her patient suicided because she wasn't there because she had to finish up. He even suggested that she recommend to him someone else for him to see during that scene. But she says, no, I couldn't pass on that danger to somebody else. And then she says to him, get out of my life. So, you know, it does come up in the show why she doesn't refer him on because she doesn't want to pass on the danger to somebody else. But putting yourself in danger instead, you've got to first protect yourself, I think. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a can of worms and there's no real good answer for that. Yeah, I guess you just hope that there's a special service in, <laughs> in your sociopaths. city. Yeah. <laughs> there are people out there willing to work with aggressive people. Mm. It's a bit different when it's the mafia and they could kill you, but you know, if she had some connections, she could probably find someone who would see him. Mm. They're out there. What do you think about her saying, get out of my life? When you were in private practice, did you feel that your clients were in your life or did you feel well, that they were just your work? Very good point. Well, he was in her life at that point mm. because he He'd made her change her, her life. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's very valid to say, get out of your life. But also that should share with you. There's no professional boundaries here. Hence, don't work with them. Yeah. <laughs> Number six, when she does see him later on in the restaurant, um, after all this is the dust is settled, and she acts like a giggly schoolgirl, she goes, toodaloo! <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> she obviously has some attraction to him, mm. um, which she sort of explores with Elliot as well, which, you know, she should check that and maybe put a boundary in, not see him, perhaps. Yeah. Do you want to explain what countertransference is? Yeah, so my understanding of it is that transference is when a patient sort of projects their unmanageable emotions onto their therapist. So, you know, they might feel that the therapist is angry at them or disappointed in them or something. But that's actually their own feelings that yes. they've transferred onto the therapist. Yes. Mm -hmm. And countertransference is the reverse, when the therapist transfers feelings onto the patient mm -hmm. yeah an example of that would be dr melfi having romantic feelings for tony um, but it can also be if you see a patient with bad depression you might feel sad they often say that people with personality disorders can evoke certain responses like sometimes people not me <laughs> say that people with borderline can make you feel frustrated mm -hmm. um, or people with antisocial personality disorder might make you feel like angry mm -hmm. yeah so i guess in the case of tony and dr melfi he's putting some of his own feelings onto her and he's and she's picking up on some of his feelings which would be romantic love as well i guess so one of the articles i read said that as long as Tony never gets an inkling that she has these complex feelings towards him, that it's okay. Mm. Discuss. I think it's definitely important not to share those complex feelings. 100%. Once, you, once anyone would, then that, it's all over. That therapeutic relationship is broken. But I guess I've never been in the situation where I've had romantic feelings for a client. And I guess if it continues... And if it builds and if it gets in the way, you know, if that doesn't happen, maybe it could work, I guess. Mm. But, you know, in the case of Dr. Melfi and Tony, maybe it's that attraction that keeps him around as a very unhealthy, not effective, <laughs> not, not getting better and impacting on a life patient. Mm. So what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to agree with me. <laughs> I love that. Number seven. 
reason to refer on when she starts drinking at work (laughs) to get through the day. I don't think I could provide a single minute of effective therapy if I was under the influence of alcohol. Really? Well, I guess I have had some pretty deep and meaningful conversations at parties, but (laughs) I don't think I would trust myself to do good therapy. Mm. That's just a huge red flag. And she even admits that it's because it's too much at the moment. And when, um, I think it's around that time as well, he actually asks her, let's finish up. And she convinces him not to. Like, she's had an out many times Mm. throughout the show and she hasn't taken it. So I don't think it's just the danger think there's something in it there for her which is but she constantly says that she's doesn't want to abandon a patient many times throughout the show yeah and whenever she said that it's like oh honey no (laughs) 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 just leave the eighth reason she comes very close to getting him as you said earlier to fuck up her rapist in season three episode four Luckily, she doesn't, but she came very close to. And she has that breakdown in that session with him. And he comforts her. And that in itself is a problem. That's a disaster. That's a disaster. So it also suggests those boundaries are already very blurry to begin with. And even the fact that she would suggest that he, you know, puts a hit on her rapist. But, you know, I guess if you were in that same position, would you consider doing Uh, some revenge? Of course you would. Anybody would consider but I think you don't want to get in debt to those sorts of people. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason you wouldn't do it. <laughs> and no other reason. <laughs> yeah. No, but again, I think it's um, it's really interesting for us to see, like, how she responds to that situation. Yeah. And I guess it's one time, you know, you've got ten reasons why she's a bad therapist or why she should have referred him on. I'm not saying she's a bad therapist. Yeah, I know, but- she should have referred him on, but this is that's a, a sort of a moment of like real moral fortitude. Would have been really hard for her not to do that. Mm-hmm. It would have made for great television All if right. she did. Maybe there's only nine reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess number nine, and she does mention that he doesn't make a huge amount of progress throughout the years of therapy. After years of therapy, he's never come close to changing. And I guess what the show is trying to ask is, can someone so deeply flawed and some, you know, might use the term evil, don't really like that term, but can they actually change? Well, I guess the fact that he doesn't change. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah. And I guess if I had someone for as long, I don't know exactly how many years it's supposed to be, but it's many years. It's more than five years at least. TV, TV seasons years. are a year each. That's an establishment. <laughs> I Except think in the US, though, sometimes they do more than one. Oranges in New Black when it was just one day. One day. And 24. <laughs> Don't forget 24. Don't never get 24. Iconic TV. <laughs> Sometimes in the US they do like two seasons a year. Yeah. And, and don't forget The Bachelor. There's like five seasons a year. I'm sorry I said that. Yes, you should Listeners. be. But yeah, I'm not a fa- I wouldn't be a fan of keeping someone for that long without actually making any change. And personality disorders, as we have established, are very difficult to treat. But, you know, from a borderline perspective, there is efficacy there. But you just, I don't know. It, it's also a bit of a trope for shrinks as they say in the u.s to have to be involved with their clients for years and years and years and also see them twice a week sometimes just so much money Mm. like 
I couldn't afford that. Sometimes I feel like I need that much, but <laughs> <laughs> but isn't isn't that psychoanalysis yeah, where they very s- much yeah that type of therapy that psychoanalytic therapy. So you know, and Carmela calls this out in her session. Like you've been going to her for three years, you're not getting any better. <laughs> How good is my Carmela impression? Nah, it's like this. Do you want some ziti? (laughs) I made ziti. All right, all right. Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like he's still having panic attacks, which is, Mm. I guess, the you know the presenting feature of his pathology. Yeah, he's not obviously not managing them very well after three years of therapy. So, like, I don't feel like he even gets some of that basic CBT stuff of, you know, taking deep breaths and and grounding yourself and and being mindful, mm. counting to ten or whatever. Like, I don't know if we really see him do any actual physiological techniques for yeah. the panic attacks. That would be terrible TV. <laughs> that would be terrible TV. And it but, would you know, also be terrible if he did change. Like, if he did benefit from the therapy. Why would that be so terrible? Well, it'd be boring. For TV. It'd be boring. Nobody wants, like, what, he takes maybe. over the sports shop. Well, that you guy know, that he kills. the last episode, maybe he does change. <laughs> maybe he doesn't die. Maybe he you know, has a lovely life and changes. He has a breakthrough there in the diner and decides <laughs> to move on. Yeah. It's yeah, a maybe. journey that does it. <laughs> but I think it would be great to see, maybe not The Sopranos, but it would be great to see someone come out of a panic attack in a TV show. And maybe there, there is a TV show with it. I, I haven't watched all the TV shows. Because maybe people would then be like, oh, they're not so bad. I can get myself out of a panic attack. I'm thinking again, for some reason, of Orange is the New Black <laughs> when he makes her do jumping <gasps> jacks. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I should never have said anything. There is a TV show <laughs> where someone gets out of a panic attack. I need to put a disclaimer that you have to have seen Westworld, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm Analyze this and pulling that. Pulling out the shittest references <laughs> for this. Okay, the last reason why she should have referred Tony on, and this is a biggie. When he starts dating a fellow patient and then she suicides. Yes. Because of him dating her. <laughs> yeah. So in season four, Annabelle Scorsia's character, Gloria Trillo, he dates her. He discloses to Dr. Melfi that he's dating her. He finds out about her pathology mm. from his therapist. That's a problem. It's no good. It's no good. And she continues treating both of them. Conflict not, of interest. Not for much longer. Conflict. Yeah, like, you know, Tony can date whoever he likes, but if you know that he's dating a fellow patient, you shouldn't be seeing them. But what can so she, you reckon she should have refer, referred him or on. maybe refer Gloria on? But it sounds like her abandonment issues were probably a bit more high risk because mm. she did actually end up suicide. She had lots of suicidality in her mm. profile because of her borderline personality disorder. So it would be a difficult choice as to who you would refer on to because she would probably react more strongly to being perceived to be abandoned by a therapist. But yeah, then if she referred Tony on, maybe he would do a hit on her or someone else would. Mm. So it would have been really difficult, but it ultimately ended in her death. Yeah. The death of a patient. But yeah, pretty devastating. Um, so yeah, they're my 10 reasons. They're great. They're, <laughs> any I other reason? Any one of them like, <laughs> was pl- would have been plenty um, for me. I know. So many red flags. Um, But she doesn't. Poor Dr. Melfi. So you know what? I think given all of my critiques, she doesn't do a bad job. Yeah. Given what she has to work with. She works. She tries. 
From a real world perspective, yes. <laughs> she makes the best of a bad situation. From a film and TV viewing experience perspective, also top notch. Top 10 notch. out of 10. She makes all the entertaining decisions, <laughs> such as not referring him on. Such as allowing him to trash her <laughs> <laughs> clinic and then come in the next day. The nice metal tissue box. <laughs> so what do others think about the depiction of therapy? Um, you mentioned Glenn O'Gabbard, who's a practicing psychiatrist who wrote a book called The Psychology of the Sopranos. Um, and there's a, a Vice article where he talks about how good she is at her job. And he sort of mentions how difficult it would be to treat him and how risk how at risk she would be. Um, but he actually really thinks she does a great job. Um, he said, this is a quote from the article. Uh, he had a place in her office where he could actually look at emotions without changing the subject, turning away. He had to focus on the feelings he had about things that had happened in his life. She helped him grow in self-understanding. He had a better sense of who he was and what he was trying to accomplish in, in life, instead of just being a very shallow guy who never had any deep thoughts, but only tried to get by and make money and do what he had to do. So she created a more humanistic version of him. More impressive than any specific technique Melfi uses, Gabbard said, is that she agrees to treat Tony at all. Most psychotherapists would write him off as a lost cause and, out of fear for their own safety, refuse to see him. The fact that Melfi is willing to work with him and somehow actually helps him is remarkable. What do you think about what he says? Well, I mean, we've just spent a long time talking about how she didn't help him mm. and how she should have referred him on. Mm. Yeah, so I don't think that's entirely correct. <laughs> Um, but it, it also, yeah, like, it's true. It's pretty, um, it's a sacrifice that she's making. And, you know, we value that. I think if she looks at what he, what Tony did achieve, I think Gilbert's right in that he had a place to be vulnerable. He didn't always allow it to happen. But when he did, it did give him the space to actually talk through some things and how he sees himself. Uh, and the things that he actually shares and the openness that he has with her, I would not expect from someone with a personality disorder, someone with antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, and even borderline, the willingness to actually acknowledge that there's a problem. It, there has to be a very huge journey for that to happen oftentimes, not all, not all the time, but because of the nature of the disorder, there's so many, so much resistance and so many coping mechanisms to avoid being vulnerable that you'd have to break through to get to that vulnerability. So the fact that he's even talking to her at all is a win, really, when you think about it that way. Mm. If we if we look at it from a film perspective, though, <laughs> again, it would make for really shitty TV if Tony was resistant. Like, like if he it would was, be if he useless. clammed up. You know, we don't want to see that. But so I guess it's nice we see, to see that a little bit of resistance that gives way. Like that's entertaining. Yeah. To see him trying not to share, trying not to be vulnerable, and then she gets through, and we see like the real Tony, like the machinery behind the mafia. Yeah. Boy exterior. We do see that often. Mm. That that sort of how his mind's ticking away, and he's trying to juggle with that vulnerability and pushing it away and calling her names. And, I mean, that's James Gandolfini doing beautiful performances. Beautiful job. Just gorgeous. R.I.P. Um, hopefully Spongebob's with him in heaven. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess the imp most important thing of any therapy is the relationship. doesn't matter what therapy you use. Studies have shown as long as you've got a good relationship, then you can make change. 
So, hmm, <laughs> considering how up and down that relationship is, I don't know if we could say that mm. it's trusting and healthy, no. but it's there. Yeah. She doesn't abandon him. Yeah, and it's the lifeblood of the show, and it's <laughs> part of what makes it so brilliant. So, But there is some articles that feel that she doesn't do a very good job. And that initial article that I referred to from Psychology Today by Dr. Michael Carson, he says, No therapist could establish a real psychotherapy with TV character Tony Soprano. I leave aside Jennifer Melfi's profound incompetence, Oof. her prescribing ineffective chemicals for non-medical conditions. Oh, what? Oh, I would agree with that. Converting life problems into chemistry. Her social niceties and self-disclosures that make any therapeutic revelation even more disruptive than it needs to be. Her taking a phone call about a car during a session. Well, I don't know. I probably that. wouldn't have done that as well. <laughs> if my if my phone even like buzzes during a session, I'm just mortified. <laughs> See he wasn't a big fan. Fair. Yeah. So to wind things up, how helpful do we think that depiction is of therapy, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, but as a whole, in terms of how The Sopranos affected the world, affected the way TV shows are made today, which I think it did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was like the first show in the golden age of TV, right? Are we still in it? I think we're coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I've run out of things to watch (laughs) during this pandemic. Tell us something to watch in the Instagram comments. Oh, yeah, please do. (laughs) Run out. Um, One article from the American Psychological Association um, looked at the negative impact of um, depictions of therapy, um, particularly The Sopranos. It was a study that was done and they found that the more comedy and drama programs, which frequently feature plots involving psychological or psychiatric treatment, the more that students watched, the more they associated negative stigmas with seeking psychological or psychiatric help. The high exposure students, the people that were exposed to more of those programs, also reported they anticipated little benefit from consulting a therapist and they were consequently less willing to seek mental health services. Um, so you're right in that he doesn't improve. Maybe people are less likely to actually seek out therapy mm. when they watch The Sopranos because they don't think it's going to be beneficial. I think that article continued saying that they were trying to figure out interventions to get people to like psychologists more and they involved watching Dr. Phil and Oprah. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Just an aside. Oprah? Because they have positive, they show psychologists in a positive light. On Oprah? Apparently. I've never watched it. I'm glad you also read the article, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I do all the set readings. That's that's why you're a good uni student. (laughs) Okay, Dr. Phil and Oprah. Interesting. Um, Dr. Philip Ringstrom says that it's the best representation of the work we do that has ever been in film or on television. And he's uh, Dr. Philip was an analyst at the Institute of Contemporary Psychoanalysis in Los Angeles. And Dr. Gabbard agreed that Dr. Melfi was something new in popular culture, which is true. There's not many female therapists in American films. Well, originally, anyway, it's mm. kind of more recent. And they're usually portrayed as being unable to resist counter-transference love. Mm. For example, he, he references Ingrid Bergman in Spellbound, 
which has been referenced a lot because Spellbound is a lot of dream sequences, Freudian dream sequences. Um, that's a Alfred Hitchcock movie. Mm. And of course, the Sopranos have a lot of those kind of dream sequences as well. And of course, she falls in love with her patient, Gregory Peck. There's also, I haven't seen it, but Barbara Streisand and Prince of Tides falling for Nick Nolte. So yeah, Dr. Gabbard was saying, most of my female colleagues are so delighted to see a professional ethical psychiatrist that they are beside themselves. Is she professional or ethical? I would say not, but if Dr. Gabbard thinks so. Dr. Gabbard is the the author of the book. The Bible of the Sopranos. We touched on what Sopranos did for mental health of males a little bit earlier, but I just want to share with you some articles that I found to back that up and not uh, peer-reviewed, but just on the internet. There's an article by The Den of Geek that sort of talks about why it was really important for uh, mental illness with males. Um, And what the show actually tells us about that is when it comes to mental health, tough guys aren't so tough. And often they are quite insecure underneath. That not so tough guys can be dangerous. That mask of masculinity and, and, and being a tough guy when that is chipped a little bit and their insecurities come in they they tend to get aggressive and that can be quite dangerous so not being in touch with those that vulnerability and hiding that vulnerability can be very dangerous mm. and that's probably linked to a lot of domestic violence towards females also i guess an important part is the fact that dr melfi is a woman and a man, a masculine man, is needed to go to a woman for guidance. And that is sort of, you know, that continues throughout the whole show. So I guess the message is men can and often do need women for guidance. And that's okay. That's even okay for Tony Soprano. What do you think about that? Yeah, a lot of what I read was talking about how the gangster in the Mafia movie is sort of illustrative of this destructive narcissism so you know he believes that he's this invincible tough man any chink in that facade brings out the violence Mm. um i didn't know this but it makes sense that women aren't actually allowed to be in the mafia oh really they're actually banned they're banned so animal kingdom which it's been a long time since i've watched like that's not accurate because like the mum in that is like the matriarch of the crime family i guess not but But i guess that's australia yeah the paper that i read was like sicily like the original well it's a bit bullshit like Women can be tough. We can kill people too, you know? Yeah, well, death. Aussie mafia women. Catherine Knight, have you read about her? She's pretty <laughs> evil. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, so like you were saying, for a woman, a woman to be in a position of power and care for someone in the mafia would be unusual and not accepted. And I feel like that was pretty deliberate in the show to have Dr. Melfi being a female therapist treating the mafia boss. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it kind of makes his embarrassment worse. Like it ups the yeah. stakes a little bit. Just like when they find out that uh, Junior, goes, Junior down. goes down on... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know why that's such a taboo thing for a man to go down on a woman. But hey, I'm a woman. I wouldn't know. Uh, I haven't read any papers on that. (laughs) Let's move on from that. (laughs) A last article I just want to share is from menshealth.org and it's called What Tony Soprano Can Teach Men About Therapy. It says, if men don't seek therapy because it represents an admission of weakness that undermines their masculine identity, then the fact that the macho Tony Soprano is portrayed as seeking therapy must be a good thing in challenging attitudes and providing a role model for men. On the other hand, the outcome of Tony Soprano's therapy being labelled as a psychopath and rejected as a suitable patient 
gives a very different and less encouraging message about men in therapy. And I kind of agree with that perspective. It kind of, it's saying that it really depends on how you see the therapy portrayed in the show. The article though does suggest that she may have done better with if she'd chosen a more male-centered therapy. I don't actually know what that is. Uh, <laughs> it's like talk therapy, but without talking. <laughs> you just like shoot things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure like most therapy styles were pioneered by men, so... Is that right? Uh, well, from my knowledge. Are you certain about that? Please, I'm sure people out there, you can correct me, but <laughs> many of the first psychologists were men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them, pretty much. Anyway. It would be an unreasonable person who watches seven seasons of The Sopranos and... And it took us like a year. Yeah, it took us ages. It, it would be unreasonable to take away from all that time that therapy doesn't work. Yeah, but it really depends on how you interpret what happens in the show. You could watch it and go, well, that was a waste of Tony's money. What the article says is, you know, she rejected... I didn't really see her as rejecting him at all. Like, she stayed with him for years. So, like, that person interpreted it that way, but I didn't. So... Well, (laughs) if if you're going to base um, how you expect your therapy journey to go on what you see in The Sopranos, then it's a bit dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but... You know, back in the late 90s, there probably wasn't many depictions of therapy. And people did... There's so much stigma about mental health, even still today. And there was it was much worse back then. No one talked about it. They still struggle to talk about it. So for someone who didn't know what therapy was, this is the only reference point. Hmm. That's very true. Yeah. Pulling it all together, how would we rate The Sopranos... <laughs> A lot of content out of five. And I guess tying it all together in in what we actually look at, we didn't really talk about this, but is it portrayed by someone with the diagnosis? Well, I guess we don't know. No. Maybe James Gandolfini was in the mafia. Okay, Um, let me just quickly look that up. (laughs) Maybe he had antisocial personality disorder, but by all accounts, you know, good mates with Spongebob. (laughs) Also Green Day. Loves Green Day. (laughs) Um, Probably not. No, he he was not, well, as far as I can see on Wikipedia, he was not in the Mafia. And he was not born in Sicily. He was born in the US of A. (laughs) Uh, But we don't know what he's experienced. Slightly unrelated, Lorraine Bracco, who played Dr. Melfi, had depression. Mm. And I came across a lot of articles about her speaking out about it. Oh, that's good. So maybe she could have given Tony a few pointers. Like, this is what it looks like to have a mental illness, (laughs) James. James, Jimmy boy. And maybe her experiences of having therapy helped shape how she portrays a therapist. Yeah. yeah. Accuracy, I think it's fairly in line with the DSM as far as we went through. And as far as depictions go, it's a much more fleshed out version of, of a mental illness involving a personality disorder. There's a lot of flaws, but for its time, I think it was pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Cool. And how stereotypical it is. I feel like Sopranos actually breaks down a lot of stereotypes on a sociopath. Traditionally, they're just seen as monsters that are just evil. But in The Sopranos, he's not just a monster. He has lots of feelings. There's a lot more nuances to it. So I think it's actually pretty good in terms of stereotypes. Yeah, and like in terms of context, the last sociopath that people would have seen on the screen would probably have been American Psycho. Mm. Was that late 90s? I think so. Oh, yeah. Would have been. I'm going to say 98. Okay. Let's Google that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my wife we'll Google it later. 
Yeah, so people probably thought that a sociopath is, you know, like that laughing... Um, Maniacal. With blood on their face sort of thing. Just killing for fun. Yeah. But that's more of a psychopath. Yeah. Um, and I guess my definition of sociopath versus psychopath is psychopath are more, like, chaotic and sociopath is more planned. Mm. But that's being really brief <laughs> and digressing. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah, not stereotypical. No. And is it helpful? I think it depends on how you look at it, which we've sort of come to that conclusion. Hmm. But I think something good things have come from it, despite lots of flaws. Yeah, I agree. So what would you give it out of five? Four. Mm. <laughs> That's high. I'll give it three. No, three point five. Okay, you didn't tell me that it was a decimal pitchfork system. You can you can have decimals, but not ridiculous decimals. Okay. <laughs> not like three point seven four one. Okay. <laughs> Why, 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 where? Uh, I, I just think some of the therapy, like all the times she should have referred on. I know mm. for the purposes of the TV, mm. that wouldn't have worked, but... For the purposes of this podcast, that's a bad thing. Exactly. And I, I agree. Michael, you figured out the podcast at last. <laughs> <laughs> How did I get here? <laughs> I'd like to finish with one of the lines he says towards the end of the series, that therapy is like taking a shit. Beautiful. <laughs> Never a truer word. Such a good line. I did say that to my psychologist. <laughs> really? Did he get the and reference? I, he didn't get the reference Shit. and I didn't credit it. So I walked out of there with my head <laughs> held high. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll leave that there for tonight. We've talked for a long time. Um, but this will be a two-part episode, as I said before. Um, so next episode on The Sopranos, we'll talk about the other characters. Not all of them, because you guys don't want to hear us talk about it for 10 hours. We might space that episode out a little bit. So we've got a little bit of other content, not just Sopranos day and night. But yeah, I enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me again. It's great. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Psycho Cinematic, everyone. <laughs> Please subscribe if you're enjoying it so far. Also, if you have any suggestions of films for us to look at or if there's something you disagree with or you want to argue about, I'm, I'm open to it. I love a good argument. Please visit the Instagram page, Psychocinematic Podcast. And we'll catch you next time. That's all, folks. <laughs>